we're back again. We were not finished. No, we really weren't. We got off the we got off the Zoom call and we were like, hang on a second. <laughs> I think this needs to be two episodes. <laughs> I have approximately 12 more points that I could make about this movie. Immediately after we recorded the episode, there were a few things that immediately came to mind that we just completely didn't talk about. Yes. First, the fact that Kat flashes her teacher, question mark? It's just bad. Why was that in there? I, I, Literally. It, it made my skin crawl. And Ew, yeah. She could have just, like, screamed. Yeah. Or thrown something. Fallen down. Slapped him. Oh, that could yeah. have been funnier. Exactly. Yeah, but fainted. No. Pretended it, to faint. The lead-up to it, she was flirting with him, too. She was like, oh, my God, your biceps are huge. Yeah. And the other one's uh, even bigger. And it was just like, it was very strange. Yeah, definitely. And then like, there was talk of, uh, what was something about a package? Like, it was just, it was very, yeah. Yeah. It was made. Uh, oh, she asked if he had done steroids. And she said, yeah. like, oh, that can affect your package. And he was like, yeah. Altogether made my skin crawl. Yeah. Didn't love it. Why did they do that, you think? Like, that was like overtly very problematic and. I yeah. just don't know. <laughs> the other thing is that, like, any of those things separated could have been fine. Like, yeah, I, I think your brain jumps to when you think about steroids. Like, isn't that the stereotype that, like, yes. they try to tell men not to do it because it can affect, like, their sex drive or whatever? So, okay, you jump to that and she does, like, she's embarrassed and she's like, oh, wait, I shouldn't have said that. But then in combination with the, yeah, oh, your biceps are huge and, like, flashing him. Yeah. Don't love it. No, it was just very strange, and I don't have, like, I, <laughs> I just needed to be addressed. It really did. You know, it's just one of those questionable things, I think, that I don't know what to attribute it to, um, and I really don't know what the thought process was with, like, yes, let's have this, <laughs> this high schooler <laughs> flash her teacher uh, to get someone out of detention. Yeah, and it's, then the other inappropriate teacher-student interactions is with Ms. Perky, the guidance counselor. Oh, God. It starts us off on a weird foot. Yes. It's but it's funnier. <laughs> I think it's funnier than the flashing. Like, that I found more unsettling. Yeah. I think it's funny because Allison Janney is just fantastic in whatever she does. I adore her. And she's, so true. <laughs> she is hysterical. So, like, I think that kind of balances it out. But still, like, even with that, I was like, ew, that's gross. Let's please move on. The school obviously has some issues yeah. <laughs> with its oh administration. <laughs> and her comment when Patrick Verona gets sent in and she's like, oh, you're here because you indecently exposed yourself. And he was like, oh, no, it was a joke with the lunch lady. Like, I, it was a bratwurst. She says, a bratwurst? Mm -hmm. Aren't we the optimists? Immediately in the scene, like, before he comes in, she's writing the sentence to her, like, her romance novel. Yeah. <laughs> one sentence. She's been working on this one sentence for most of the movie. <laughs> yep. But then after he leaves, she substitutes in, I think, she substitutes member for Bratwurst after this conversation that she has with Patrick, which yeah. just, like, carries over this weird, inappropriate interaction <laughs> to yeah. her, her, uh, her romance novel, which... Listen, write your romance novel. That's awesome. But also do your thing, girl. Maybe, maybe do your job too. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know uh what the ethics of that are. Cause she is supposed to be a counselor. <laughs> a real ethical dilemma here. Yeah. 
<laughs> it's funny, but at what cost? Yeah, exactly. And she's like very forward too with you should like she's very upfront about the fact that she hates all of the children at the school <laughs> when Cameron comes in for his like initial interview with her, and she's like, they're all but same little assholes as you know at your other schools. <laughs> oh and when Kat gets sent and she's like you have an issue and Kat's like what is Kat I don't even remember what Kat referred to herself as a shrew I think I think she refers to herself as a shrew or something like that yeah it's something less yeah (laughs) not that abrasive yeah Um, and then Allison Janney goes I think the correct term is heinous bitch (laughs) says it with that inflection yeah you Incredible. should work on that. That's like what she says yeah. afterwards. And I was like, oh. One of the articles I read said that that was part of how the movie pits the second and third wave feminisms against each other because Miss oh. Perky is associated with the second wave feminist movement, kind of, but portraying it as outdated and like irrelevant. Women authority figures in the movie are framed in that way or they're absent, like Kat's mom. Yeah. So it it paints a really bad picture of kind of this previous generation of women. And if Kat is associated with like that kind of brand of feminism or whatever, it again, it just is supposed to come across as negative and it kind of reinforces this this um, conflict between different kinds of feminisms. So I found that very interesting. Yeah, I didn't even think about that, but that is a really interesting point. There there's a shockingly small number of older women in this movie because yeah it's her dad it's the male teacher who's male teacher slash coach who's at detention it's her male english teacher mm-hmm. and the only woman really is allison janney yeah right yeah yeah just like on the point of kind of authority figures within the movie i guess the fact that they make the dad he is kind of the symbol of like patriarchal authority in the movie and he is supposed to be very controlling because he doesn't <laughs> doesn't let his daughters date, but he's also he also uses like the specter of teen pregnancy as this yeah. deterrent. Teen pregnancy and the threat of teen pregnancy is not the proper way to educate young women on sexual health and sexual autonomy. Like that's just not how you do it. It's like mean yeah. girls don't have sex or you'll get pregnant and die. Like that's yes. essentially what he says. I think he is a really interesting character because he's such a comedic character. Like yes. I reject pretty strongly like these yeah patriarchal males that represent authority in these movies but he doesn't feel like that like he feels like a jokester and I guess the important thing there is that you get that he loves his daughters like you know he's not doing it maliciously like you can see it from his point of view whatever and though he's completely misguided yeah you can see that he loves them and that's part of the comedy too that Kat and Bianca have long since outsmarted him yeah, Bianca says he makes a comment to Bianca about like, oh yeah, I delivered this baby. First of all, first strike against him, a male OBGYN. There cannot be a good, a, a morally good male OBGYN. Like, why did you do that? That's the first thing I thought of when I rewatched this based on our discussion a couple weeks ago. <laughs> I did actually. I went to the gynecologist. I don't know a month ago or something, and I was like nervous because. I used to just go in the military. <laughs> I went to the like women's health on base. So I was like, okay, this is my first gynecologist visit as an adult. And she was so cool. And I was like, I'm going to quit my job and become a gynecologist. Because it occurred <laughs> to me, you only have to interact with women. Wait, that's such a good point. 
why didn't I think about this before? I should have become Fuck. a gynecologist. I really messed up with my my college education. I'm changing career paths. You heard it here first. Yeah. Anyway, point is, yeah. So he he makes this comment to Bianca about, oh, I delivered this baby for this 16 or 17 year old. And you know what she said to me? Oh, and God, yeah. Bianca says like, I'm a crack whore who should have made my boyfriend wear a condom. Which just um, the classism inherent the class- in a comment like that is just grating, truly it, it, grating, but yeah. <laughs> it really is. Um, <laughs> and he's like, oh no, she said I should have listened to my dad. And they're yeah. like, and so yeah, the crack whore comment, don't love it. Absolutely hate that. But certainly like, she's not an idiot. She knows about condoms. And like the fact that they roll their eyes when he says like, I should have listened to my dad, whatever they've you know that they've heard this so many times yeah 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 yeah, he has no awareness of first of all the cat has already had sex so the ship has sailed i guess Mm -hmm. (laughs) and bianca seems like pretty level-headed can make her choices and this is the thing most women are and you just have to arm them with information shit i didn't know that i can make my own decisions did you know (laughs) i don't think i did (laughs) Personally, I've been letting the males in my life decide every step of my health journey. But now, (laughs) so I'm going to take it into my hands, my own hands. No, I think you make a a very good point. Yes, he does it out of love and he is very desperately trying to provide some sort of like parental structure for them, I guess, because their mom has left the family. And I think part of that is that he's trying to compensate for her absence. So that's his way of doing it. And I I like what you said, like, he's not doing it maliciously. He's misguided, but like, he really does love Kat and Bianca. And yeah, he is very funny. I mean, like, I think he has some of the better one-liners in the movie. (laughs) They're like, it's just a party, daddy. And he's like, and hell is just a sauna. (laughs) Yeah, and when Bianca says, we're going to a small study group, and he's like, is that code for orgy? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, those are, I, I laughed at, at a couple of his lines, for sure. He has to be the most successful obstetrician, because, like, his house, you know what kind of <laughs> money that kind of property in Seattle goes for? That might be old money, ladies. Um, <gasps> True. <laughs> another thing that just, like, lives rent-free in my head is when cat runs into joey's car and then he's like what happened and she says whoops and he goes whoops <laughs> whoops <laughs> doesn't cover whoops <laughs> doesn't he say my my insurance doesn't cover pms or oh, something shit. yeah that's right damn it i was trying to miss i was trying to forget the fact that cat's pms comes up at multiple points in this movie as like a reason for why she is like a horrible woman and <laughs> a total bitch and i just, yeah. I'm just like oh my god but anyway. Yet another tired take. <laughs> Very tired, yeah. The dad is, I think, provides a lot of comic relief and um, while at the same time being a, a very misguided patriarchal figure. Yeah, agreed. <laughs> the misguided patriarchal figure is the comic relief. The fact that all patriarchal figures are mis- misguided. <laughs> That's the real lesson here. There we Not go. Not even the comic relief. That's, That's so the awesome. lesson. Exactly. <laughs> Yeah, the other thing that is just, like, thrown in there and that, like, is little talked about is, like, the best friend's obsession with Shakespeare. Oh, yeah. And then, like, out of nowhere, like, in the days leading up to prom, randomly, the kid Michael reveals himself to, like, Kat's friend. 
that was very strange. There's no uh, backstory on that as to like why they would have a connection. I, I agree. No. That's very weird. It didn't advance the plot in any way. You would have expected that her friend would have played a part in Kat finally agreeing to go to prom. Mm-hmm. That her friend would have been like, hey, I'm going. Why don't we? Get, why don't you come with me? Whatever. But there was never a moment like that. Yeah, that's true. And it, it was just kind of shoehorned in there, I think, mostly to remind the audience that we are watching a Shakespeare adaptation. <laughs> you gotta know. Remember Billy Shakes? <laughs> Remember this man? <laughs> that was weird vibes. Yeah. Um, I wish they had done more with the best friend. I really wish that she and Kat had had some sort of like more of a meaningful relationship perhaps and that she could have also been part of Kat's journey towards finding a a balance and exploring the kind of contradictory parts of herself. It would have been nice (laughs) to have some support from her friend. Yeah, Yeah. she kind of just drops off for most of the movie and then comes back at the end. Exactly. She could be erased from the movie and nothing would change like she could be replaced with an inner monologue from cat because the only purpose she serves is for cat to say like oh what a fun new development when Mm -hmm. yeah yeah she serves absolutely no purpose and maybe like there was an alternate cut where she was she did play a part in convincing cat to go to prom or something but that's true she's rarely there yeah and doesn't seem to except like to show that cat has friends i guess Yeah, no, that's, it's a good point. And it is just kind of odd that she is, she has multiple pictures of Shakespeare hanging up in her locker, which, I mean, you go, We're girl, involved. We're involved. My other thought that is, um, I would call unhinged, I was watching this movie. This is only slightly related to the movie. It was just spurred by the movie. I was thinking a lot about people's teeth. And I was realizing there's a lot of smiling. You see him <laughs> smiling. Especially um, Heath Ledger. Especially Heath Ledger. And I was looking at Kat's teeth and I was like, oh yeah, she has this kind of teeth. And like in, in my brain, like I couldn't tell you what it is, but I realized my brain has developed like teeth profiles for people. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> There's like... <laughs> Please elaborate. <laughs> Okay, my brain has, like, developed categories, profiles for teeth to fit into. And, like, Cat's teeth, she's got quite point. <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> I was really hoping that this would be something that I'd say and you'd be like, oh my god, yes. <laughs> right, so let me just do <laughs> Cat's teeth, she has really wide front teeth. Yes. And then her canines are really pointy. And, like, other teeth profiles that you can see is people with, like, really short teeth who have much bigger gums. Mm, that's um, true. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. And then you've got people who, like, all their teeth are the same size, like, very uniform, which is kind of weird, in my mm-hmm. opinion. And then you got people with, like, really long front teeth. Dang. <laughs> <laughs> are all the teeth profiles represented in this movie, or <laughs> were there some that stood out in particular? Cats, cats' teeth definitely fall into like a pretty distinguishable um, teeth profile. Uh-huh. Heath Ledger, he has like very square teeth. Let me know where all my brain has gone that I was watching it and I was like, teeth profiles, am I <laughs> I absolutely love this. <laughs> my question is, were you watching a movie with Kirsten Dunst in it? Because she has very specific teeth, uh, t- tooth, teeth profiles. She oh has God. like yes, a she very has distinctive big canines. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're very like. See, she doesn't fall into a teeth, teeth profile because she's got such unique teeth. <laughs> that she doesn't fall into a profile. <laughs> we'll just just Kirsten Dunst teeth. That's the, that's the profile. Yeah, that's her profile. I love it. <laughs> I'm gonna be looking at this now for like all the rest of the movies we watch. I think we have to do a teeth profile section. Teeth profile check. Are you sure you want to become a gynecologist? Because you could also become an orthodontist or a dentist. Probably why I think about this so often is that I'm really obsessed with my teeth and Mm -hmm. I have nightmares that my teeth fall out. I looked it up. Apparently it means that you really fear like losing control. (laughs) Oh no. But honestly worst nightmare. Anyway, that's anyway. all I had on my list. I love it. <laughs> I'm trying to think if I have anything. Oh, the thing I had forgotten to mention last time was that the writers, the screenplay, uh, the screenwriters for this movie are the same screenwriters who did Legally Blonde, Ella Enchanted, She's the Man, and House Bunny, and some other ones, but some very classic, like, early 2000s, late 90s stuff. So yeah. They, uh, and they're Karen, women, right? Yes. Karen McCullough and Kirsten Smith. Dream team. Yeah. So pretty, pretty freaking awesome. It was directed by a, a man, Jill, Gil, Gil yeah. Younger. I don't know how to say his name. I'm very sorry. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I was very pleased when I saw that. I was like, oh, that's so cool. I didn't know that they were they were part of the franchise. The She's the Man makes sense because that movie and 10 Things have very similar kind of vibes. The thing that I was thinking about and didn't mention was just kind of like Shakespeare adaptations in general and the use of Shakespeare as a cultural authority um, and the way that the Western literary canon has kind of like put him up on this pedestal as equivalent with high culture and and high art and so whenever he does get adapted in this kind of way people tend to be like I don't know about that that doesn't seem right like (laughs) but that video essay that I sent to you today was talking about that Shakespeare in its original in the original way that it was performed was meant for everybody like everyone went to see plays at the Globe Theater like it wasn't just for the upper echelon of of people I guess a note the 90s were a huge time for literary inspired teen movies because you have you had a lot of like Shakespeare stuff happening and then I think like Clueless was Emma so like some Jane Austen happening so this is a big deal in the 90s there's like also a lot of academic work published on this movie because I think critics tend to freak out when a classic piece of literature is interpreted for a young audience. They're like, oh my god, the legacy must be protected. We must understand. (laughs) So yeah, this, yeah, I feel like this was kind of the peak of um, Shakespeare-inspired teen content. Yeah. Oh, and you're speaking to the resident uh, Shakespeare expert because as you remember, in ninth grade, I was... (laughs) Shakespeare oh my god I forgot about that (laughs) yeah I I impersonated the ghost of William Shakespeare like sat sat right with me and uh told his life story to the ninth grade English history class that was the weirdest project ever at the beginning of the year we all had to pick a person and we had to give a like 10 or 15 minute speech from their perspective (laughs) (laughs) like it was so weird I was panicked that was like the the most amount of dread as a high schooler that I felt I was so nervous yeah it seemed like so much more of a big deal than I, <laughs> I reflect on it now 
honestly to present a person's whole life yeah. is a little bit intimidating yeah i was queen elizabeth the first oh shit you weren't sir francis bacon i'm so sorry yeah. i can't believe i so disrespectful i'm so sorry <laughs> Yeah, but we wait. No, was that the right timeline? Was she alive during Shakespeare times? Yeah, was she, yeah, okay, she was cool. a big patron of Shakespeare. Sick. She wasn't my first choice. I don't remember who was my first choice. And then like, we had some savage way to uh, decide who was who. Oh, and yeah. I remember losing out to someone <laughs> on the person that I actually wanted or something. I don't know. You did an uh, excellent presentation. I rem- I remember you being up there. You did a really good job. Thank you. I don't remember it personally. But <laughs> Oh my god. Wow, the memories are flooding back. They're flooding back. Fond memories. Yeah. You are the resident expert and you have a degree in English. Fun fact though, I read one Shakespeare play in the four years (laughs) of English uh, classes that I took because I'm not like, I don't know, Shakespeare was not a formative part of my literary development. I, I like him fine. I think his stuff is interesting but like it wasn't super impactful for me i think i've read like four shakespeare plays yeah that's that's that and not taming of the shrew yeah so i uh my english degree can be revoked (laughs) i'll take my license away (laughs) go home idiot yeah (laughs) a couple of the articles i read also said a lot of interesting things about the connection between shakespeare and the construction of girlhood particularly like american girlhood he has been really influential i think in how media represents young women Uh, and whether or not it's good is kind of like up for debate because a lot of the time his cultural authority gets hijacked into reinforcing like conservative messages about girlhood but when young women are portrayed as engaging with these stories on their own terms it can be a very empowering thing so it's interesting to me to think about how he's kind of been like transformed into into something much different across many years of of media adaptations and i think this is a good one i love this movie i love the teen shakespeare genre i think it's really fun i didn't know that it was the same writers who did she's the man and i'd say like these are probably my two favorite shakespeare adaptations well actually i do love romeo plus juliet but i kind of feel like that's in a very different like it's an adaptation but it's not Yes. Because it's the words of Shakespeare. Anyway, so I think that's interesting that it was the same writers. But mm-hmm. I think, yeah, piggybacking off of how Shakespeare, how he was, was is not how he is now. I think the history of theater is so interesting because in the times of Shakespeare, that's what you had. Yeah. That, that was your entertainment. And whether it was like put on by like your neighborhood fellas who just like stood in the town square and put on a little play or whether it was Shakespeare at the Globe or whatever it was like there were no rich people going to watch Shakespeare at the Globe and obviously like I think there have always been like more exclusive forms of art but I think in general like performance art was much more communal Mm. in the past and now because we have tv and movies those are the more accessible things that more people can watch mm-hmm. versus theater has become much more of an of an elitist and elite thing and especially like of things that are of the rage like i would compare i mean wicked in its time or whatever like i would compare mm. that to shakespeare in that like it's a cultural monolith basically for its time like everybody talked about wicked for 10 years and that makes me very cynical about people criticizing these like film adaptations of Shakespeare yeah because it feels kind of classist that okay so like we read Shakespeare in school some of like yeah 
best public schools in the country. Mm-hmm. They taught us how to read Shakespeare, whatever. That's obviously not a high priority for public schools with less budget. And I think additionally, like Romeo plus Juliet, a league of its own. <laughs> like you don't have to understand it to get it. Like you see what's happening. It goes on, whatever. Like I think a lot of people are annoyed by it and think it's pretentious, but <laughs> I like it's raw it. It's emotion. Like it's very yeah. much the emotions of the play are communicated through the screen in a way that's like different than just watching the old like 70s or 60s version of Romeo and Juliet. Yeah. It's very, yeah, it's very much in your face, which is great. Absolutely. But I think like things like 10 Things I Hate About You and She's the Man make the stories of Shakespeare and their essence accessible to everybody. And I think criticizing that, and of course, like you can criticize, like get nitty and say like, this doesn't capture the essence of Shakespeare, whatever. Mm-hmm. But to criticize the fact that it's adapted for modern day and that that like compromises the story, I think is completely ridiculous. Yes. Um, and I think in fact, yeah, the magical thing about Romeo plus Juliet is that it transplant this, transplants this story into a completely different time and place. And just the emotion that you feel off of it, yeah. regardless of the setting, and regardless of you of, if you can even understand a lot of the words that they're using mm-hmm. is incredible. Yeah, these stories have resonance still. And I think in Shakespeare's words, they won't have resonance to many people, but if you change the words around, yeah, they will. Yeah. I that's think a that's... separate bee in my bonnet, I think. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that's such a good point because um it's Shakespeare, the themes that emerge in his works are themes that are timeless. Romeo and Juliet, the idea of star-crossed lovers is like not a new thing. And it has, it's a theme that's continued, to, has continued to be evoked across multiple forms of media, whether or not they're doing a quote Shakespeare adaptation. And I think, you know, the fact that he can, his works can be readapted shows that a lot of the themes that, that his plays deal with are very universal in a sense, and that they can translate because they're, they're broad enough that they'll resonate. And the, the thing about adaptation is that it's not going to be, it's an adaptation. It's not the original work. You have to, you have to think about how the themes of the work are going to interact with the time that you're producing it in, if that makes sense. Like, it's not going to be the same, but that's okay. It doesn't have to be a a one-to-one. It's almost in bad faith, I think, the criticisms that some adaptations get because, like, you know, yeah, it's Shakespeare, but, like, it's also its own story because it's being produced in a specific time and it has a specific aesthetic, and and that's fine. I don't know, all these, yeah, I, I agree. I think the the criticisms that some of these movies draw are very much, like, can be based in kind of a classism and the assumption that Shakespeare is this, like, elite high art figure, when really, in reality, he really, he wasn't. <laughs> he was He was just a guy. His plays were for everybody. Yeah, I was defining the idea of a good adaptation as, like, portraying the right emotion mm-hmm. that goes along with the words. Mm-hmm which I think even is a narrow definition of it. I think like that's what I like in a good adaptation, which is why I love like all the Baz Luhrmann, like The Great Gatsby and Romeo plus Juliet. And I love Moulin Rouge, even though that's not an adaptation. But yeah, a lot of people hated The Great Gatsby as well. And I was like, if you have a book like that, that's so fantastical and like lives with all of these different, like you're kind of darting between reality and 
the imagined yeah you have to have that but beyond that I think that even to like say that something is a bad adaptation is probably a bit of gatekeeping because Mm -hmm. that really just be like what it means to the particular filmmaker yeah I think there is a lot of like for 10 things I hate about you for example if people watch it and are like oh I don't think that this is a good adaptation of the taming of the shrew Mm -hmm. well I don't think it really has to be you should just be able to enjoy it for what it is yeah and if you happen to think that it interprets Taming the Shrew well, you can say, hey, here's a good resource to um, mm-hmm. compare to Taming of the Shrew. Or, oh, hey, I heard you liked Taming of the Shrew. You want to watch this movie? Exactly. All stories are, to some extent, intertextual. And I don't yeah. think that it is fair to ever be like, this work is a truly, purely original work and it stands on its own, and it and when you adapt it, you have to, you know, pay it the utmost respect. Yeah. And it's most a lot of Shakespeare's works were based on stories that had like come before it. Uh, he didn't invent these themes. And why can't we talk more about the fact that like intertextuality is a part of creating media because you're always going to be influenced by something. You're always going to be evoking something. I think it wants, <laughs> if people could just like kind of get past this this thing that they get stuck on about adaptations and how good they are, then I think you could have a much more meaningful conversation about the, the piece of media as it is. And yeah. I think, yeah, there are fair comparisons. You can make comparisons between the adaptation and the original work. I mean, it's not like I'm saying you can't do that, but like you have to, I think, <laughs> frame the criticism in a better way that doesn't, doesn't gatekeep uh, what an adaptation can or cannot be i absolutely think it's hubris to be like (laughs) to say that like oh it doesn't do it justice yeah you were there also like you didn't see the original shakespeare but for like anything it's like really who cares exactly somebody wrote this down one day and hoped it was good yeah who cares (laughs) i think adaptations even if they're quote not good and like not loyal adaptations whatever I think it can also start a conversation you're right that shows it can show what's lacking not lacking necessarily in quality quality from the original from the original text mm-hmm. but like the themes that are lacking and mm. yeah, I think no. yeah you can do a lot of compare and contrast to yeah. learn more about both texts absolutely both time periods yeah that's no that's such a good point I think something that fails to get taught in classrooms a lot of the time and the way that I remember being taught Shakespeare in high school was that because he has such a cultural dominance in the literary, the Western literary canon, he tends to get removed from his time period. And I am of the belief that if you are going to study a text that has been made an integral part of a literary canon, you have to study the time period in which it was produced and you have to talk about all the forces that that were surrounding its moment of production. And I don't think it's fair to to bring, to abstract it, you know, out of its time of production and just teach it as this kind of monolithic thing. And I think that's what happens a lot of the time with with Shakespeare in the classroom. And and that feeds into the this idea of his cultural dominance. And then I think that can lead to these criticisms of like, it's not like the original doesn't do the original justice, blah, blah, blah. Like, I think the idea of Shakespeare and like the actual Shakespeare who <laughs> was writing plays or maybe didn't write these plays, that's something to think about. He might not have written some of his plays. Like, yeah, <laughs> that was a whole thing. Anyway, it just... Again, I think we would be able to have more nuanced conversations 
about him as a literary figure, if there was more about the time in which he was writing and, and all that. And I, I didn't get a lot of that in high school, honestly. We got some background, but like, I didn't, we didn't talk specifically about the time period in great detail. You're just kind of like, here's the play that you're going to read and let's read it. And <laughs> like, yeah, that's, that's all well and good. But I do think you always have to have a little bit of a, you need to know what he was doing and what things were like and what he was influenced by. Yeah. I remember having like some historical background mm. and part of this, like, I don't know if I learned it later or at the time mm -hmm. and so on and so forth, but definitely there's this feeling of it being like obligatory reading. And I feel like a lot of books that we read in English class or works that we read in English class, there was a discussion of like, did you like this? How did this make you feel? Mm -hmm. blah, blah, blah. And there was never any discussion like that with Shakespeare. And part of that, I think, is that they assumed that, they, that we would hate it because mm. it's kind of a chore to read as like mm -hmm. a 12 year old. But it's just you, you should accept it that this is like one of the one of many masterpieces yeah. in the English language. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I do definitely think like I couldn't name. I'm sure that it was like there was a lot of theater going on at that time. Again, because that's what you had to do for entertainment. But I couldn't name a single other playwright besides Shakespeare, which I think would be the context that would be interesting. Mm -hmm. That like, who were his peers? Yeah, what were I'd they assume, doing? He must think, have been doing yeah. something different for us to remember him this well. But mm -hmm. how drastically different was it? Like, what did other works from that time sound mm -hmm. like? Read like whatever. Yeah, no, that's, that's not context that I had. It's such a good point because again, that just can like the idea that teachers will just assume first of all that you won't like it, and second of all that it is like obligatory that you cannot graduate high school unless you read some Shakespeare, which I really don't like. I don't I don't really believe it. Like, yeah, he's he, <laughs> he's cool and stuff, but like I think you'll survive and be able to read interesting things if you. I don't know, don't read yeah. Shakespeare. It's not the end of the world. It's and I think the what most interesting thing is that there is nothing else we read in any kind of old English. We That's true. never did. I did Chaucer in college, but I don't think I remember doing any kind of I might have I might have done some Chaucer um sophomore year of high school, but okay. it was very limited. Yeah, that's the only that's the oldest thing I ever did. I think I I can't remember when I did no, I think I did Beowulf um sophomore year of high school too because I took like a it was a specifically English literature class so he kind mm -hmm. of had to do like a history of yep. English like British kind of literature but um yeah but that was the only reason it's interesting too to think about how Shakespeare is presented as something that is already going to be difficult and that students are going to kind of dread yeah he's framed as that because in movie representations and tv representations of Shakespeare I read this in another article, it's depicted as this obstacle to a lot of girls in plots. So they, the main like antagonist in like television episodes that, re that reference Shakespeare are these, oh God, I have this thing for my Shakespeare class and it's really hard and I'm, I don't know if I'm going to pass or my Shakespeare teacher is trying to sabotage me. So they, <laughs> he is presented as this, this obstacle to young women in media. And this particular reading also said that male characters or male antagonists are often empowered by Shakespeare. <laughs> and 
<laughs> so it's it's so it was really interesting the way that it yeah. he's been portrayed in media sometimes as this antagonist to young girls, and I mean in some representations he can be an an empowering thing, but um, there are a lot of like oh no I have something from my Shakespeare class yeah I think we definitely need to to reevaluate the cultural dominance of Shakespeare and how we teach young yeah. people his text. Yeah, absolutely yeah. agree. I mean, I can't think of another instance that, yeah, one, that I read something as old or older, mm-hmm. and two, I'm thinking about it now. We read, I read three Shakespeare plays in the same school system, like in middle and high school, mm-hmm. and I don't think there's any other author that I read more than one or two mm. works of. Yeah, I'm trying to think. I don't, Yeah, I think, like, we did books multiple times like I've read The Great Gatsby a couple times yeah <laughs> across my my education I think you get like single works kind of there's there's a pretty standard canon in the American school system um in high school and mm-hmm. but Shakespeare I think you're right Shakespeare is often the only one who's represented multiple times like you read multiple works and I guess part of that is that they're plays and but still I mean like authors write multiple books <laughs> yeah the only time that I read multiple books by an author was like my senior year of high school research paper mm-hmm. and then my dissertation for college. Mm, yeah. It's like <laughs> I didn't choose Shakespeare, but uh <laughs> here we are. I think he is the one author that most people have encountered in some form or another in school. I, I'd be surprised if there was like a high school student who hadn't read him just because of how, how common it is to teach at least one Shakespeare play. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'd also be interested. I wouldn't be surprised if like even non-Anglophone people, like mm. when they take English classes and higher level English classes, if they're made to read, read Shakespeare as well. <laughs> That's so true. Yeah. I, I'm, I would not be surprised if there were <laughs> some of his Let us know in the comments section below if you went to a non-Anglophone, if you had a non-Anglophone secondary school education, if yeah. you uh, read Shakespeare in your English class. I would be fascinated to know. Yeah. <laughs> that was just a very long convo about William Shakespeare. <laughs> of course, we're like, you know, he really shouldn't have a place of such you know absolute cultural dominance and here we are talking about him for 30 minutes i apologize oh 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 my gosh should we talk about teeth profiles some more oh hell yeah i don't have anything else to say about teeth profiles what what kind of teeth profile shakespeare had i'm gonna i'm gonna pull up his portraits when i did my iconic presentation on william shakespeare in freshman year of high school i wore one earring for accuracy. You didn't. Oh my god. <laughs> because one of his pictures, he he's only wearing like one hoop earring, and I was like, Yeah, I can do that. Okay, none of his portraits have teeth, which is normal, <laughs> I think, because I've never seen like a portrait from that era with teeth. That's true. Can we Maybe. see his skull? Surely they have pictures of his skull. They've like dug it up, seen what's what. This is oh, this shoot. is now turned into CSI. <laughs> his teeth aren't in there anymore. Shit. Wait, no, there's conspiracy theories about his skull. Oh, of course there are. Oh, my God. People are asking if it was stolen. Anyway, Uh, I don't know what his teeth profile is. This is going to be the new Zodiac sign. You can decide how compatible you are based on your teeth profile. (laughs) You have to come up with names for them now. I think we we really need names. This is the definite. There are so many things that, like, rattle around in my brain, and I don't have, like, words for them. 
but they're just givens in my life yeah i love it <laughs> i need help honestly my brain anyway did we <laughs> did we have anything else to I, talk about in this movie i don't i think i i've got the things what about you you feel that we uh spoke about it to its full potential personally i would love to emphasize how much of a simp i am for heath ledger um i would like to reiterate yeah yep even though his hair is so horrible but it almost just doesn't matter because he just he's so charismatic in this movie yeah it is so sad yeah a big time loss he's just such a talented actor the range again i will i will reiterate because i actually have seen the dark knight and i was like holy shit yeah he's really good so i think i need to watch more heath ledger movies i think that is the moral of the story yeah facts only i'm gonna do some some uh some research and watch some more because he's just a joy to watch on screen he really is that's exactly it he brings mm-hmm. joy yeah. to every screen he graces yeah. And I, I read this really sweet. Um, I think it was because it was the 20 year anniversary of the movie recently. And the cast did an interview with the New York Times. And every time he came up, it was just like, they had nothing but wonderful things to say about him. And it was just really sweet. And they all had really wonderful memories of him from the production of this movie in particular. And it was it was really nice to read. Uh, a little bit sad, but it was really sweet to kind of like, know more about the production and it seemed that people got on really well and like enjoyed working on the project. And I think that kind of, I think it comes through like in the movie, it's obvious that they, they have good chemistry together as a, as a group. So. Yeah, it was, this falls in the category of like movies that I think would have been fun to be involved in. Yes. Oh, for sure. Cause they're in Seattle in the summer and they were, a lot of them were the same age, which I found interesting. I was like, I think they cast like a couple high school age children to play high schoolers. Wow. <laughs> Except wow. for Gabrielle Union, who was, who was not high school aged. I think she was uh, one of the older actors in the group, but she still couldn't, couldn't tell. <laughs> yeah. She fit in. She yeah. looked good. She was, she was funny. Oh my gosh. I also, this is unrelated, but I was reflecting. I had said that I don't like Julia Stiles. I do not vibe with her. And when I originally said that, I could not think of other movies that I had seen with her in them. (laughs) So I went back. I reflected. I did some soul searching. I dug deeper. I googled her name and I found... (laughs) that the other movie that I've seen with her is The Prince and Me. Uh, Have you seen that movie? I've heard of it. I think I watched part of it, maybe. But I know which one you're talking about. We'll have to do another episode about that. Oh, um, I'm down. That is, like, one of my least faves. Okay, fun. <laughs> I think it is largely because of her. I find her very annoying in it. Yeah. Um, and part of it is, like, just the premise. I haven't watched it for, like, five years or so. Who's the? So. Who plays The Prince in that movie? Is it someone I know? I, she, I don't, she's it's like, no one that I know. Okay. But let me, I can check. Is Eddie the prince? Uh, I think so. I think they like give him a new name, like a. Yeah. Uh, okay. I, I okay. do not know who this man is. Never me mind. Either. Yeah. Okay. I thought I knew who he was. I was mistaken. 28 days later, he was in. I haven't seen that. Does that sound familiar? That's like a pretty well known one. Does that have Kelly Murphy in it? Mm, let's see. <laughs> 
this just turned out into us of like who's in that movie <laughs> killian oh yeah it does have killian murphy killian murphy as jim this is kind of tangentially related because heath ledger was in a batman movie and so was killian murphy and killian murphy i simp for him <laughs> it's not healthy um i rewatched <laughs> all of peaky blinders recently and oh boy anyway i was watching a night's tale with my friend um and so good it's so ludicrous it's inconceivable the the music is just like what but like also yes yeah i love it it's amazing agree on all fronts oh my god it's so good should we watch that one (laughs) honestly down down Um, (laughs) yeah so i watched a night's tale and my friend and i were talking about how heath ledger full stop and she was saying that she watched a Knight's Tale when she was in like middle school yeah. because her friend was a big time simp for Paul Bettany, who plays Chaucer in. Oh, get out of here! Yeah. Oh my God, that's amazing. In A Knight's Tale, and then he, he's also Jarvis in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. No. Yeah. What? Which he is not even on my radar. Like I knew who he was vaguely, but I was yeah. like. I never, I wouldn't have even like looked into that connection. That's one of those things that someone has to tell you. (laughs) Exactly. But yeah, her friend was a simp for him in middle school. And I was like, what a, what a niche, what a niche simp, simping. Go off, I guess. Love it. I wonder how many middle school girls love Paul Bettany. I mean, especially then, maybe more now that he's Jarvis, but yeah. Anyway. I would, I actually, I, I don't think I can attack because I did once throw a birthday party for Jim Henson, even though he was already dead, which is weird. <laughs> but that wasn't like simping behavior. Incredible. That was just like prime weirdo behavior. We got to embrace those parts of ourselves. I, <laughs> you know, they're just, I, give me a couple minutes and I will come up with way too many that are just so uncomfortable. It's, oh God, no, they're coming back. <laughs> Oh, I was such a weird middle schooler. Surprising that anyone wanted to be friends with me. <laughs> and here we are, the two of us throwing birthday party for Jim Henson and weirdo, undisclosed oh, weirdo. My my penchant for uh, Christian rock music in middle school was <laughs> inspirational Christian rock music. Oh my God, I do not recall. I blocked it out. I was like... I like this girl mostly. I don't There's think this I Christian made that very public, I will say. But I was phasing out. I, like in sixth and seventh grade, I started to phase out. I got some Shakira on the iPod, you know, for our next some episode. Beatles. Yes, yeah, some Beatles. Who else? Some. Uh, the Fray. Oh, the Fray. Daughtry. Uh, oh my God, Daughtry. <laughs> um, I'm going home. Yep. Wait, how's <laughs> that song Oh, Matchbox <laughs> I'm going home, home to, to the place, place where I belong, <laughs> where love has always been enough for me, and I run it from the for me. We shouldn't do this at night anymore. <laughs> What a walk down memory lane. <laughs> You're right. I think my sister could probably hear me through the wall singing Daughtry, sadly, one-sidedly to my computer. 
Yeah, I moved away. I moved off the bed because the, it like shares a wall with my family friend's bedroom. Still, I'm I am assuming that they can hear me. I'm sure my upstairs neighbors can hear me. <laughs> this is art at work, ladies and gentlemen. Oh. Anyway, okay. Did we have anything else to talk about? Um, I I don't. I think I I think we hit everything. <laughs> I feel I feel satisfied. I feel satisfied. We've touched on the hot spots. Yes, this was a really fun watch and. Everyone yeah. should watch this movie. Yes. Confirmed. Uh, that is it. <laughs> cool. All right. 